Good morning. <laughs> it's good to be back together today. Uh, so we are going to, to come back to our I Am series next week. We started a, a new series a couple of weeks ago, and, and then we kind of took a break from it last week when Michael Van Heis preached for it. And so I thought on this sort of odd, uh, awkward in some ways, reunion-type Sunday, it would be appropriate to do kind of a standalone lesson again for this morning. And so we're going to jump back into our I Am series again next Sunday. Uh, but for today, I want to take a look specifically at part of Hebrews 10. And we've looked at, at part of this chapter in some other series that we've done recently, specifically in the Hope series. There's a lot about hope in, in Hebrews 10. It's where we took a lot of our thoughts from the Hope series. But we kind of, uh, sort of almost intentionally, stopped short of one verse that we're really going to focus on this morning. And it's a verse that is, is probably familiar to many of us. And so towards the end of Hebrews... Uh, the author of the letter begins to, to bring their thoughts to kind of some conclusive instructions, which include these words. This is Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, we profess for he who promised is faithful. That's the part we kind of focused on in, in our hope series. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, so now, if you are like me, you have probably heard the last part of that text referenced quite a bit. So as I said, we've talked about the hope part of that, uh, of that text in, in other places, and, and we talk a lot in, in church and in Christian settings about spurring one another on to love and good deeds. That's kind of common vocabulary for us. But it's really the next part that, that I'm thinking about this morning and that I want us to kind of consider this morning about not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, if you are of the opinion or the belief that we should never have stopped gathering on Sunday mornings, you may think this is really odd timing for this verse. Like, where were you 15 weeks ago <laughs> with that verse? Why didn't you bring it out then? Um, and, and so it may seem like an odd time to preach on this verse, since it seems as if we have gotten out of the habit of meeting together. But just stay with me for a little bit, and I'll try to explain kind of what I'm thinking or, or why I think this is an appropriate verse for us for today. Uh, traditionally, at least to me, it seems like this verse has been widely used uh, sort of as a deterrent for, to keep people from skipping church, right? This is what you tell people if you think they are being lax in their church attendance. Well, you shouldn't forsake the assembly. You should not give up meeting together. You should be willing to wake up on Sunday mornings because the Hebrews writer tells us that, that we should not give up meeting together. Uh, it's even been used as a defense for holding on to sort of specific programming offerings. Like if you've been involved in sort of kind of church and worship wars of the past, you may remember this verse being used as a defense to hold on to Sunday night worship, right? We can't forsake the assembly. We can't, we can't give up meeting together. As a defense for Wednesday night gatherings, right, this, this verse comes into play in, in all those types of, of conversations. And while I do think that this verse, uh, it has been abused in some cases by those simply trying to, to hold on to a certain tradition or type of gathering or, or their preference for some of those things, these words do seem to carry this idea that the gathering of believers 
and, and the community that is nourished and, and cultivated as we come together, that these are, are necessary components of, of mutual edification and of encouragement. And so we're going to think about this verse a little bit this morning with this final caveat before we kind of dig into it. Uh, this is not an attempt to convince you to keep showing up here on Sunday mornings. Uh, this is not to say, hey, we're here, we're starting back again, you need to be here. <laughs> um, it's not an attempt to do that or to guilt anyone uh, kind of for, for coming if you're not here with us this morning. Uh, it's, it's not an attempt to, to kind of in a backhanded way say that we, we shouldn't have stopped meeting together when we did. Instead, I want us to consider what the author had in mind when, when extolling the virtues of coming together. What is the author's point here? What issue might they be addressing? And, and in a time when we are being challenged and, and invited and encouraged to sort of rethink what the church gathering looks like, even what the church looks like in communal form, what might these words have to say to us and what encouragement might they give us when, when church and when gatherings and meetings and everything looks and feels different and odd and sort of vaguely familiar but also awkward and everything that's kind of roped into everything that we are experiencing now in our culture uh, and in, in a church setting. And so I think that this verse has, has something for us to hear in this setting and to hear today. And so we're going to start by looking at some of the word choices that the author makes that, that I think might give us some insight into where, where they might be headed or the point that they're trying to make. And so in the NIV, it says that we should not give up meeting together. Uh, and, and the emphasis there is on something that we do. So the meeting together, part of that phrase is, is action-oriented. It's, it's verb-oriented, right? It's about action. It's about what we are are doing. It's about coming together. It's about doing something. But the actual Greek word that is, that is used, uh, that is translated there as meeting together, the, the actual word is a noun, and it's a word for assembly. It's used to describe a group of, of people. But it's not a typical New Testament word that would be used to describe the church or an assembly. Uh, you may have heard like the word ecclesia, that that's a, a common word used in the New Testament for assembly or church. But that's not the word used here. That's not the noun used here to describe the assembly uh, or the gathering of people. It's the word, you're going to have to give me a second to pronounce this, epesunagoge. Try to say that five times fast. Epesunagoge, <laughs> I think. Uh, and that word is actually only used twice in all of the New Testament. And the only other time it's used, it's actually used in reference to, to the gathering or the assembly of people who will be called to Jesus upon his, his return. And that's over in 1 Thessalonians. That's the only other time it's used in all the New Testament. And, and so it seems to be, there, there's sort of this kind of special or unique nature to this, to this word or this description of, of the assembly. And, and so maybe there's something for us to hear there. Maybe that's important or, or maybe it's not. I don't really know. But I do think that there's an important distinction made that, that this is not really about, uh, that there's more going on here than simply about the action, right? 
this is about more than giving up on, on the assembly of people as far as me giving up the action of coming together with people. This is more about giving up on the assembly of people itself. Uh, about giving up on the noun, the assembly of people, more than it is about me giving up the action of going together with other people. And I, I think that's sort of an important distinction to make. And, and we're going to kind of build some layers here that, that hopefully they'll all kind of come together. Uh, because that brings us then to the idea of giving up. And the word that is translated there in the NIV as giving up literally speaks to deserting something, to abandoning something, to forsaking something. And so some of you, again, may have heard this kind of uh, phrased growing up as do not forsake the assembly, right? That's kind of the traditional way many of us probably heard this in church, which gets at some of the, the language that we're talking about this morning. Uh, and the word for giving up or forsaking is the same word that Jesus cries out from the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you given up on me? And so this is about more than just kind of sleeping through your alarm on Sunday mornings, right? This is about more than thinking I'm too tired to get up and go to church today. There's something deeper going on here. It's about purposefully turning away from this called together group of believers, this assembly, and choosing to abandon them, potentially leaving at risk those that you are leaving. Uh, Because if part of the purpose of our being together is to build up one another— and, and to cultivate an environment of mutual edification, then, then your abandoning the assembly doesn't just affect you. It affects those to which you are called to be in community with. That if any of us are, are taken out of this equation, then, then others are, are, are negatively impacted because something has been impacted about the community, uh, about the family of believers, about the, the assembly, this called out group of people uh, who have been called together to give their lives to Christ and to join together in that effort. Uh, and so we don't know for sure what was causing some to give up meeting together as the Hebrews writer references. But I do think that there are some clues in the rest of this letter that, that could provide us with some insight. Uh, so, for instance, it appears as if the original audience has faced and, and stood up uh, under some level of, of persecution and oppression and, and we get some insight into that just a few verses later in Hebrews 10. This is Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 36. When the writer says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you endured in such, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And so the writer here reminds us that it is the duty of Christ's followers to faithfully endure times of of difficulty and trial. The writer also reminds us that it is the duty of Christ's followers to joyfully and, and proudly stand with those who are being insulted and persecuted, even if it means risking our own personal stuff. 
Because I think we need these reminders because there are seasons in which those things are, are easy. There are seasons in which we have the energy and, and, and the momentum and the adrenaline to, to pursue those things with, with vigor and, and to stand up for those things. Uh, there are seasons when those things come naturally. But what happens when, when the oppression and the persecution, the mistreatment, the, the discomfort is sustained over a long period of time? Uh, what happens when, when our last church gathering was March 8th, right? And, and now here we are still sitting in times of, of uncertainty and, and, and we're back together, but it doesn't really feel the same. We don't know when it will feel like quote-unquote normal. So what happens when these seasons and these situations endure? Uh, who will remain committed to the cause of Christ and to the assembly once the excitement of the newness wears off and the monotony of suppression or uncertainty continues and eventually simply becomes part of life? Who will continue once that adrenaline rush is gone? And I think in, in life and, and especially in our Christian walk, we, we understand how this happens. And we sort of have a term for it that we use typically with our younger people in Christian life. Uh, we call this the camp high. Anyone ever heard this in church circles? Uh, if you ever went to summer camp or have a kid who's gone to summer camp, you may be familiar with the camp high. Where they come back from summer camp and they're ready, they're ready to go. They're ready to go knock doors in the neighborhood, right? You send them on a mission trip. Like, I'm ready to sign me up for whatever God has for me. I'm ready to just go be light and salt in the world, right? And then you start playing video games again, and then you go back to school, and then homework, and then sports and school, everything else. And then it's like that, that high kind of dissipates and goes down because the newness has worn off. The, the concentrated impact and effect of being at church camp kind of wears off, and now life has kind of set back in. That happens in all kinds of parts of life, right? It's, it's, something's fun when it's new and there's all that energy. And then, then what happens as, as time goes on? And so I think we can relate to that just as part of life and within our, our Christian context and, and journey. And so right now in our culture, it's, it's sort of fashionable and, and the trendy and, and right thing to do to stand up against things like racism and, and bigotry as we've seen. But what will happen when, when the news cycle moves on, when the next thing happens, when, when the movement requires not simply acknowledgement or, or conversations, but, but action and sustained standing with those who are victims of, of suppression? Is movement toward a better understanding of how systemic racism has shaped our culture, our country, and our own understandings of the world a conversation we're willing to sit in for the long haul, or will we abandon it when, momen when momentum moves to something else. Similarly, it's, it's easy to get excited about something like online worship when it's new and, and novel and, and fun and exciting and engaging, right? But, but what happens at week 15, 16, 25, 30, 40? Uh, coming together today feels nice and, and new and novel, but, but those masks are annoying, right? And... And what happens if this season endures and, and I've got to keep wearing the mask when I come? What happens when, when the newness wears off? What happens if, if all this endures for a while? And so there is certainly something here to say to us about gatherings themselves. Uh, but again, I don't want us to get bogged down there. 
uh, because while there is application here for the importance of meeting together, I think the deeper element of what we see here, uh, and and, and more than kind of just the the surface-level stuff about gatherings, is that this verse is a reminder to remember who we are as community and the purposes to which we have been called, especially when there are forces that are pushing us uh, that, are, that are pushing against us and may distract us or cause us to lose sight of that or make it easy to forget who we are and why we have been called apart and set apart as a holy uh, community of people giving our lives to Christ. And, and I think that's the point that the author wants us to get, uh, that, that you have been called, you have been made holy, you have been set apart as this, this unique assembly of people and so when things happen that threaten that, when, when the world gets in the way, when, whether it's persecution or simply uncertainty, whether it's other things in life or, or oppression or whatever it may be, don't lose sight of those things. Because if you do, it may become part of who you are to give up on that and turn to something else. And so the author then goes on. Uh, The author says, don't abandon or forsake this assembly of believers as some are in the habit of doing. And the word for habit there is ethos, which is a word that that we may know a little more, uh, that we may know a little better than episunagage or whatever it was that I don't remember since I don't have it in front of me. That's not even a word that we know. But ethos is sort of a word that we kind of understand or at least have some knowledge of, many of us. It's this idea of this is something that has become who you are. It's part of your nature. It's, it's part of the way you operate. So the author says, this has become the ethos of some for whom external factors seem to have pushed them in another direction. And, and so again, we sort of find ourselves now in, in this odd moment. A moment in which several society factors are colliding around us. And we, like the original hearers of the Hebrews letter, we need to be reminded of the encouragement that is found in the assembly of believers. We, like the original hearers of the Hebrews letter, need to hear the call to stand with those who are being insulted and persecuted. And we, like the original hearers of the Hebrews letter, need to hear the call that doing those things oftentimes necessitates patience, endurance, and perseverance. We need to be reminded not to give up on the assembly so that we may consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds as we encourage each other. Each other. And that reminder is especially important as our meetings continue to look and feel different and as the nature of church itself seems to be shifting. Uh, and so as I said at the beginning... Uh, I don't want this to simply be, though, this kind of call to to come back and and gather in person, right? I want this to be a call to remember um, who we are, who we have been called to be, um, and the importance of investing in that. And and to remind us that in this season, that may look different, and it may cause us to pursue some different things that we may not have typically had to pursue. Uh, And so if you're someone who is still gathering with us from from your living room or, or your front porch or dining room table or you're listening to this online through the podcast, uh, or if you're someone here that's here today but you plan to kind of uh, go back to some of that in the future, uh, then please hear me say that is not forsaking the assembly. Uh, 
um, our, our desire is to provide online opportunities for connection and, and involvement. And, and doing that is a recognition of the fact that there are times when gathering in person is, is simply not the best option. That doesn't mean that we are forsaking the assembly. It just mean, it may mean that investing in that may look different and may require some more purposeful action on, on each of our parts. Uh, and so as we have done kind of throughout this, and we especially did this at the beginning, but I just want to offer us an encouragement today to continue uh, to try to find ways to reach out to each other, to connect with each other, uh, to not let those connections go. That, that not giving up meeting together is about more than, than not giving up being in the building together. It's, it's about not giving up on relationships and on connections and on the shared purpose and commonality and bond that we have in Christ. And that runs a lot deeper than being in the same building together on Sunday morning. Um, it's about who we are called to be together and pursuing those things together in community and encouraging each other as we pursue those things. Um, and for those of you who are here and, and who continue to keep coming back, may I just encourage you and, and us to continue to do that with energy and with, and with hope and with faith. And that, yeah, there are going to be things that are kind of nuisances for a while that w- once the novelty of them wears off, we'll probably start to complain about it and, and will really bug us. <laughs> Uh, but may we remember the higher calling that we have to be a community of, of believers and, and remember the purpose that we have in worshiping together. Whether you're worshiping here with us in the building, at home, uh, and may our worship together continue to, to encourage us and provoke us to good deeds um, and, and to spur one another on to love and encouragement. One of the words that's used there in, in spurring one another, spurring each other along, along, some of the translations there say provoking each other to good deeds. And I think provoking kind of has a negative connotation. Uh, yeah, I see some heads nodding. Like if anyone who has provoked their brother or sister, like that's never positive, right? You're provoking them to something, something that's going to get them in trouble. <laughs> um, but I think it's kind of this acknowledgement that sometimes we need that, right? We need to be provoked, uh, to live into our purpose. We need to be provoked to remember who we are, especially when there are forces pushing against us. We may need that provocation from some external factor that is provoking us to good when there are things provoking us in the other direction. And so may we continue to be that for, in, for each other, to provoke each other to love and good deeds, to provoke each other uh, to stand up as, as voices of, of love and encouragement, uh, voices of, of inclusion, voices of, of mercy and grace in our, in our community, in our families, in our homes, and in our, uh, our world, our society, as we continue to be those who are seeking to bring light into the darkness. Uh, I know that many of us have, have been blessed by church community. Uh, as I said earlier, our family has gone through seasons in which we would not have been able to continue on we would not have been able to persevere without the provocation and the encouragement of those around us in Christian community. And so may we all continue to do that and to be that for each other. Uh, this morning, as a community of, of people gathered here at the building, gathered at home, who are not listening now but will listen later, <laughs> uh, we're going to share in, in communion. And we're going to remember who we are and who we have been called to be and who it is that unites us together as community and as an assembly. And so you should have your, your communion little baggie with you that's got the elements in it. I will say, I think, Zoe, did you go over at the beginning how to do that? 
if, if you struggle with it, if it's a little awkward for you, if you can't really get it, because you've kind of got to take off that top layer to get the, the edible styrofoam, and then and you've got to take off the next layer to get to the juice. Um, yeah, you can, <laughs> you don't have to try to drink the juice through your mouth, to, through your mask. Um, you do have to drink it through your mouth, not through your mask. <laughs> uh, so you can take your mask down for the juice part. Uh, and in just a second, after we pray our prayer of confession, you, you can do that part. And, and we'll have a song playing on the speakers just for a time of meditation um, and, and contemplation as we do that. If it's easier for you to take those home and do it later, you can, you can do that and take those with you. Um, and then we've got some trash cans available as you exit to, to throw those away in. But we're going to pray our prayer of confession together. Um, and then again, there'll be a song that plays as we share in communion. So you can remain seated uh, and let's... Uh, pray together. I'll take this off now as I move. Let's pray together, and then we'll enjoy a time of communion and meditation and reflection. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen.